And now, here's your host, Phil Croshaw. Hello and a very warm welcome to People Power. But none of you realised just how many fans I had and that we were doing this at the Albert Hall, did you? Okay, uh, today I'm delighted to be joined by Craig Hines. And uh, me and Craig today are going to be talking about the future of work, which is wonderful because I always love looking into the future and thinking about what might be happening and going to happen. Uh, I remember sort of the all those movies in the past of going into the future were always my uh, back to the future etc were always my favorites so anyway without further ado uh, I'm going to ask Craig Craig Hines to introduce himself tell him tell me who he is and what he does Hi Phil, great to be with you this morning. Um, my name's Craig Hines, as you mentioned. Um, I'm the project manager for Propel to Grow, which is um, a European um, development fund business growth project based in Lancashire. I also work for a company called Vidas and I've got my own company called To Inspire. So I've been helping businesses to grow and to develop since ooh, longer than I care to remember, since about 2005. And we share a background, don't we? We found out. We do. We the do. The T word. Yes, That's indeed. got wondering, hasn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> the travel word. Yeah, and cups of tea. Um, <laughs> of yeah, tea. absolutely. Both, yeah. both of us working for the same company. Sadly, no longer with us. No. No. What a shock was that? Nothing to do with us. Nothing, Nothing to do, do with Do you know us. what I have said before, though? It all went downhill when I left. Absolutely. And now I can say it all went downhill when we left. Absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, that's another podcast, isn't it? The the, the uh, what happened there? Quite staggering what happened there, actually, uh, and the impact it had on obviously all the people. Indeed. So, uh, all right, we're going to talk about the future of work, as I said. So, um, let's start off by give me what you think is almost like a, a state of the nation situation. Where are we at now? Because I know you said before we kind of seem to be just in the middle of a major transition. So talk me through that and what makes you think that and what the implications of that are. Yeah, I, I, I think it's um, a fair synopsis that we are probably in a state of flux at the moment. Um, you know, I think back to the day when I was, when I was growing up, I don't know if you remember the TV programme Tomorrow's World, um and uh, i do but they'll probably those millennials will be going the, what's he on about the millennials will have no idea that tomorrow's world predicted back in the 80s that oh when you get to our age every you know every workplace will have at least one computer um and we'll all be working two days three days a week because computers will do it all for us um of course none of them counted on email um, when they made that prediction <laughs> but um but certainly technology is part of um you know the, the the reason why we're in a state of flux ultimately in in terms of the world of work massive opportunities that it presents but also as well some challenges in the way that people behave at work and imp- importantly the way that people are led and managed um within the workplace if people are going to be um you know um motivated and committed to give their best in the workplace so do you think then that i mean obviously computerization has had and is having a staggering impact on it so if we just talk about um in the first instance computerization and the challenges that computerization are creating because it's obviously there's opportunities which yep. everybody knows, and the fact that we're sat here now doing this podcast proves the point in a way. Um, but then there's also obviously potential threats to that as well. 
What's your thoughts on on the the impact of computerization? Shall we say in the short to medium term? Yeah, I I, I mean I, I I was joking when I mentioned email, for example, but we tend to, um, you know, if we look at the current state of play in the UK, we've got a big challenge. Um, we've um, we've got a bit of a dilemma in that we've got at our fingertips probably more technology, more ability to work you know, the most flexible way that we've ever had, certainly in my lifetime. But we are massively underproductive. Um, and compared to the rest of the EU, even, we, we, we're struggling. And, and it's, it's certainly something to, to cause, cause a little bit of, um, you know, people to, to ponder what is, you know, the challenge that's causing productivity to be so so unimpressive really within the UK. And part of that, I think, is around technology and the way that it's become all-encompassing in the workplace. So people can be extremely busy all day, um, filling themselves with what I would argue could be um, low-value tasks, filling in emails, completing documentation, creating Word documents, PowerPoints, that kind of thing. Being busy. Being busy. Being busy. Yeah, being busy in their little cubicle, heading a computer, not having a conversation with anybody. Um, You know, none of us seem to have any time, but ultimately, um, you know, the figures suggest that we're not actually producing anymore as a consequence of it. What what do you think is, because obviously the media fills us all with this, doesn't it? The, The productivity problem. Yeah. Um, and um, I've been doing some employee engagement stuff as we were talking about earlier with some software and that, that I know you're involved in as well. Um, what it, at the end of the day, what I don't, I'm not sure people really understand what it means when it says the government says we're not productive anymore. But what do you think that means in terms of our everyday lives and how, how are they really measuring that? Um, if you want the official definition... I don't have that off the top of my head. Um, but in essence, what we're talking about here, isn't it, is for every hour worked, how much are we actually producing? What, you know, dependent on what the nature of your business is, whether that's to sell more, to make more, to service more customers. Ultimately, we're working much harder at it, but we're not doing as many. Um, and, that, and that is a challenge. Um, and, and actually, when we look at, it, look, look at it in the cold light of day, when we've got all of this technology at our, our fingertips, you'd expect it to be the opposite. You, you know, why is that so? Why are people really, really struggling to be productive um, within the workplace when we've got all of these tools that we've never had in the past? Do you know, I think, it, I think it's, it's a fascinating area, actually. And um, you and I have worked in large corporate arenas as well as running our own businesses and working with small businesses. Yeah. But one of the things that, strikes me is what we said a minute ago really is that people people misunderstand the difference between being busy and productive yeah so and i think this is particularly the case with um sometimes people think i have a downer on public sector i don't i just have a a view on it um and um it just seems to me that there seems to be a lot of bureaucracy being produced yeah particularly in public sector, but there's probably people in private sector would argue the same. Almost like, is there a scenario whereby people are producing tasks in order to justify a job? Yeah. Do do you know what I'm saying? So in other words, if I don't produce some 
some spreadsheet that the branches have to fill out. Indeed. You know, if we talk about our, our world, our past world, travel, yeah. if I don't produce a spreadsheet that the, the branches have to fill out and report, then I've not got a job, so I'd better do it. But then the front-end impact of that is quite stark because it's the front end that are the ones that are fundamentally producing the outputs i.e taking the money yeah absolutely and it's and it's that it's that distance traveled isn't it between you know the art of running a business based on what does the business actually need to do what's its purpose what you know fundamentally cutting back to brass tacks why are we here what gets me out of bed in the morning yeah. it's probably not to create a spreadsheet it's probably yeah. not to report a lot of facts and figures for somebody in yeah. a darkened room yeah but yeah. in essence so much of our time is spent on management information on reporting and perhaps you know that's not to say there's no value in it of course there is but have we always got the balance right? And I think that's the bit that's, that is cause for thought and that people have to take a long, hard look in terms of, you know, when all is said and done, how much of our time is actually spent doing on what matters, both to our people but to our customers, importantly, and how much of it is actually spent on the, if you like, the bureaucracy or the administration of running a business or a department within within a public sector um, organization and arguably that gets more challenging and more difficult the bigger you get doesn't it oh absolutely absolutely you know, it's the whole thing of if you ask to see a, a managing director of a company of 40 people what each of the people in that company did they probably have an idea a decent idea yeah but when that's 300 people 600 people 900 people then they don't really know and they won't know so then you're relying on your managers. And of course, then you get into the politics of do the managers report back what wants to be heard, not yeah. the reality. Yeah. And that, in a way, that takes into that whole, that other area, doesn't it? About, you know, the, there's that great line in the, in the, a few good men where, you know, you want the truth. You can't handle the truth. One of my favorite lines <laughs> yeah. in any, in anything. And it's particularly true, isn't it? In terms of productivity, where if you ask the people, you've got to be open to what they're going to tell you about the way things are going. And it might not be very comfortable to hear. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, it's one of the one of the challenges for, for a lot of companies that we work with at the moment. A lot of companies that are, that are somewhere on this journey to understanding, ultimately, how do we get the best out of our people and genuinely have a desire to create the best place to work. Um, for instance, a specific will be, you know, let's ask the people. Let's go out there, do an employee engagement survey, for example. A lot of value in that. But, of course, it's what do you do with that information? Um, and how transparent are you? And how comfortable are people to actually tell you the truth? Um, you, you know, um, and, it, and it, we work with companies of all different shapes and sizes. Sometimes, you know, doing an employee engagement survey might seem a little bit grandiose for an SME or a small business. But actually, could you actually have an honest conversation with somebody who would tell you the truth and feel comfortable to tell you the truth? And ultimately, once you get that truth, what happens with that information? Um, and I think we have a tendency to almost kind of wrap or sell 
ideas into people um, as though they don't really have the the ability to be grown up and mature enough to handle something that isn't necessarily positive. Um, I worked with a public sector organisation, one that shall be nameless, but um, one that features very heavily on the use of a car. And bizarrely, this particular place was um, in um, an out-of-town location where most of the people who travelled in travelled by car. They did a massive employee engagement piece. And one of the things that I really liked about how they communicated the outcomes of that was that the first year that I worked with them, the number one gripe that all of their people had was there's never enough car parking around here. And it's so stressful if we're working in shifts that by the time that, you know, I've driven around the car park for 20 minutes trying to find somewhere to park a car on, public transport's not an option. I'm almost kind of captive, really. I don't have a choice. I do have to use my car. And so when they ask that question, you know, what could be better? Inevitably, car parking, number one, hot potato issue. And they did some really good stuff about treating their employees like grown-ups. So, you know, typical stuff like you said we did. Um, and I remember walking down a corridor and it said, you said we don't have enough healthy options in the restaurant. We did, you know, introduce a salad bar, etc., etc. And then the last one at the end of this corridor is, you said we haven't got enough car parking spaces. And then the hanging message under that is, it ain't going to change, get over it. Um, and bizarrely, the following year, I won't say that the issue disappeared altogether, but it wasn't the number one gripe that employees were moaning about because they'd put the big boy pants on and realised that, do you know what, there, there, is wasn't no, a, there wasn't a magic pixie dust solution. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And people have yeah. been honest with me and told me that, that, in essence, I just have to deal with it. Um, and so because people felt, I don't know, entrusted, um, respected. Do you know, I think, I, think it's the, I think you're absolutely right. I think they just felt at least they'd been heard. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I I'm slightly aside, but I, I find this a lot when I hear people saying they don't listen to us. You know, it's about governments, don't they? They yeah. don't listen to us. There's a big difference between listening to you and giving you what you want. Yeah, absolutely. But and I think that so people think because they didn't get what they wanted, so like whatever it might be, I don't know, increase in in anything, disabled benefits, whatever, it doesn't matter. But it was like they didn't listen to us. Well, yeah. Probably they did listen to you, but it doesn't mean that you'll get what you want. Listening is not about giving you what you want. And I think people get mixed up with that. Absolutely, absolutely. And and I I think the lesson in there, certainly when we kind of put it in the context of the future of work, is that actually there are are some great answers um, right in front of us if we just ask the right questions and then just act on them, Um, which brings us back to kind of what we're talking about in terms of the future of work. And if people actually feel confident enough to be honest, uh, and again, it's going back to these behaviours around trust and transparency, if people can be honest about what are the challenges that get in the way of you doing a great job, you know, we, um, we, we, we tend to find that technology brings, for the vast majority of us, this kind of always on kind of mentality, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm terrible, I, you know, pick up my phone, 
you know, pretty much before I um, turn the light switch on in the morning, and it's probably the last thing I look at before I go to bed. Yeah, we've communicated numerous times at silly o'clock at I, night, haven't absolutely. we? Absolutely, <laughs> it's, it's not healthy, really, it's is not, it? Yeah, it's no, not healthy. No, it's not. Um, and and similarly, and, and we're not unique. In, in fairness, yeah. I mean, I remember when I got my first BlackBerry, I I found it so intrusive that my boss could reach me at all of those times of the day and night, whereas now we don't even think about it. For the young ones listening, that's not a fruit. Exactly, yeah, a BlackBerry, <laughs> yeah. Back in the day. Yes, back in the day. Yeah, back in um, the day. Yeah, but, uh, but if you think about it, actually, the way that people are led and managed actually has not changed that drastically um certainly in some businesses um i mean we're we're speaking today aren't we from the heart of manchester right here in spinning fields um manchester will be fabulous when it's finished um problem being <laughs> <Never>. is, exactly <laughs> i think we're yeah. the most overdeveloped or redeveloped city in europe yeah um but the challenge is of course um around traffic so how many people have you know that daily conundrum what time do i need to set off do i need to set off an hour earlier than perhaps i need to just to be on the safe side because i work in a culture or an environment where you know it's it's not acceptable for me to be flexible um that's that's kind of um you know sometimes that is you know if you're customer facing um i get it it may well be that that's a necessary evil, but how many places can afford people flexibility and indeed expect that flexibility because your boss emails you at six o'clock in the morning, at 10 o'clock at night, and yet, you know, you do get that kind of kind of look if you walk in at 10 past nine because you've been stuck in traffic or, I don't know, the kids aren't so good or, or you know, that, that, that typical thing, you know, I want to, you know, can, I, can I take an hour out because I need to go to the dentist or I need to go and pop, um, pop over to the bank or something. How many times do people say, well, do you need, have you filled in a form for a pass out? Um, have you taken leave? Um, so we're very good, aren't we, at creating this one-way traffic where employees feel that, well, if you don't trust me um, in, to do a great job, then you're not going to get the best out of me, in essence. So this behavioral stuff around trust and around transparency we talk the talk, but do we always walk the walk in terms of the way that people are led and managed and, and, and empowered, really, to make decisions based on, this is what you're here to do, these are the outputs that we expect from you. you know, it doesn't matter to me whether you do it at 6 o'clock in the morning, whether you do it at 10 o'clock at night, or whether you do it sat in that chair from 9 till 5, so long as the job gets done. Do you trust me enough to get it done? Because um, technology certainly affords us the opportunity to let people work more flexibly. But we probably have a little bit of catching up to do in some quarters in terms of the way that people are led and managed and some mindsets that we need to change because it's certainly true that there are some bosses out there, and apologies if you're one of the people listening, um, that, that really feel slightly uncomfortable that their employees are doing what's expected of them if they can't see them doing it in that particular chair within the office or whatever workspace that you've got. Um, and I think that's where we've got to change. We've got a massive opportunity to change there. I think that's absolutely bang on and it's a fascinating area, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and, and it's a fascinating area for a number of different reasons. Um, it's, I think it's true the technology has almost leapt too quickly far ahead 
for us to change our work practices and mindsets, as you said. Yeah. Uh, but what's also very interesting, I think, is that we can't turn on a radio or a television or go on the internet nowadays without hearing some climate change discussion. Indeed. And I've often thought, I wonder how many journeys are made by car every day, and I'm including salespeople, meetings in this, in this conversation, that are actually, with technology being the way it is now, with broadband being pretty ubiquitous, with video calling being readily available and, 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 very, and high quality for free, yeah. it does make me wonder how many people actually get in that car through habit or because, in truth, it's maybe a few hours out of the office, which, <clears throat> and I think a good test would be, if climate change suddenly accelerated to the point whereby, literally, we were having 70-degree summers and it was almost like survival territory, yeah. you know, and biblical floods that were almost taking out two-thirds of the country, and we're not too far off that now by the looks of things, I wonder how many people, if they had to question how often do they need to travel? Yeah. The, the truth is, I don't know, what, 20, 30, 40% of journeys well, maybe that well, are not an necessary? An interesting one, isn't it, is, is when, you know, when we have snow. How many businesses these days grind to a halt when the snow comes down? And the reality is probably not that many now. We, we really go to, you know, when, when there is a, uh, you know, a pressing need that um, I can't get into work today, um, I'm going to put my woolly socks on, I'm going to get my hot pot overall, and I'm going to work from home today, and pretty much I can get stuff done. And equally, as you mentioned, there are Zoom, there are there's video conferencing, there's ways of communicating that means that with just a few adjustments, most businesses can take over. Of course, it's it's different if you're manufacturing something. I get that. And um, I'm, I'm speaking in absolute terms here that doesn't apply to everybody. But just by changing our habits and just by changing the way that we work, perhaps we can get better outcomes in essence. I think, that, I think that's right. And um, if you think of it in manufacturing terms as well, is that the actual physical manufacture of something is obviously something you'd probably have to do in, and I'm putting this in inverted commas, in the factory, as it yeah. were. But how much planning and organisation and marketing of the, of the product is done, which is nothing to do with the machine throwing out the widget. Indeed. And yeah. that can be done in that way. So relating that conversation then to um, working from home, which is what, where we were, what we were talking about originally, um, my feeling is, and I'd like to get your views on this, is my feeling is that do the managers of the modern age, do they have the skills necessary to actually set clear objectives with clear outcomes? It's like objective and goal setting was just core to everything we did back in, back in the day. We, we, <laughs> yeah. we keep saying that, don't we? It was just a normal part of development of one's career basically um but i wondered is that part of the problem is the fact that the managers don't have the ability to set the goals with the clear outcomes and the clear measurements for those outcomes because if they did you'd think that it would be very easy then to measure that output and it wouldn't matter then if they did it at 3 a.m in a moment of insomnia and and it's funny because 
you do find this a lot in sales because a lot of salespeople are often nowadays based out in the field. So, you know, the, the regional sales uh, guy for, or girl for um, Colgate is, is actually based in Scotland or, and then somebody else based in, in the Northeast. Or, and the head office maybe is in London or Manchester or whatever. Yeah. So um, it just begs that question, doesn't it, as to, um, with, as I say, with salespeople, they, they, get the, they know what the target is. And most of the best sales managers I've come across kind of, they look at the sales and as long as they're, those sales are, in, you know, um, integrity related sales and they've got the sale through the right means and through the right approach and not cheating the system as it were, yeah, they don't really care whether they're doing that at 3am, 7am, 10 o'clock on a Sunday night because at the end of the month, the money's coming. they just say, that was the target. How have you done? And if the answer is I'm on target, then there's not any. There's no need for a further question as to yeah, but did you go walking the dog at three o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon because you had a headache? Nobody gives a toss. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And and um, sales is a good one, isn't it? Because because it's very tangible mm. and it's very easy for managers basically to work to a number. Um, and it's not. And to be fair, it's not always managers as well. Um, with some of the businesses we work with, you know, when they want to kind of have some give and take, they're kind of going, "Well, do you know what? Um, I know that my team members always go over and above, and and if it was down to me, I'd be so happy to let them, you know, kind of finish early if they need to go somewhere, whatever it may be. But it's just not how we do things around here. And it's that fear of again somewhere in the organization is that lack of empowerment for a manager to go i know how hard you work i know what you do i know what outputs you're producing ultimately i'm going to have the confidence to turn around and say um you know you're not firing on all cylinders today why don't you why don't you have an early dart you know you know, there are no machines in this world that operate at 100 percent efficiency so why do we expect people to it's just a complete misnomer and yet if we think about the way that that management has adopted and management actually it's interesting we talked about manufacturing because because it was in the industrial revolution that they you know the classical approach to management um, came about which was about control and about making sure that people work to the maximum ability almost like you know machinery in essence um and you know we we know what the consequences of that is that that is um there are opportunities ultimately to allow people to work particularly particularly now we're in a service and a knowledge-based economy you know we're writing content all the time if someone sits you in front of a computer and says right and it's not happening. It's not happening, isn't it? It doesn't matter how many hours you yeah. spend there. It's just going to be torturous because, in essence, if the ideas don't flow, the ideas don't flow. But equally, you could be in the shower and all of a sudden you get the brain brainwave of the year and dart out, write it down, and, and that's it. Take the rest of the week off. You've, you've done your job. Fabulous. But, but ultimately, do we actually give, give managers the ability to have that bandwidth to decide what's best for their teams. Um, so even when we've got managers who subscribe to this thinking, they don't always have the, the either, I'm not sure if it's fear, um, perception or reality, because some um, 
business owner managers, some CEOs would say, absolutely, I'm not precious about this. I really want people to work in a way that they feel best. But for whatever reason, that message either isn't getting through or they logically get it, but certain things betray how they really feel. Certain questions like, where is Craig today? Um, It's half past nine. I haven't seen him yet. You know, questions like that, which, okay, you might say that you don't mind where someone works, but in essence, certain behaviors actually betray what you're really thinking that that the um, disempowers managers disempowers people to make judgments based on working the best way that I can. That's absolutely true, and uh, there's also that cultural society. Really, I'd say more than cultural that society mindset, which is oh, he's working from home, is he? And, <laughs> yes. and people will do the, you know, the two, the quotes, two fingers. He's Absolutely. working from home, is he? Yeah. Oh, the, the, or she's working from home, is it? Oh, that, that means she's got some painting to do or he's got some gardening to do. Or Absolutely. And it, it's kind of, um, it's said in quite a, can be said in quite a facetious way. Absolutely. And people have nothing, no, no idea how to address that now that Jeremy Kyle's gone off the air because that was... <laughs> That was always the comment that you got the day after, wasn't it? Well, who was on Jeremy yesterday? Um, yeah. yeah. Um, but in essence, yeah, there is that, that mistrust that, that um, you know, and, and there's certainly some kind of truth that if we, um, if we behave in a way that controls people because we're saying, in essence, we don't believe you to work and to be productive and to, to make decisions for yourself, in essence, then do you know what? Chances are that's what you're going to get. Yeah. That's how people will, will react. So when they have got that freedom and that bandwidth, perhaps they don't necessarily use it in the best way possible, but it all boils down to, you know, are people being led to think about why am I here? What's my purpose? What are the, if you like, the metrics that, ma- that matter? Um, arguably I'd say it's not necessarily whether or not it took you 37 and a half hours in order to do your job. But did you do your job really well? Um, and that's a, a subtle mind shift that I think a lot of managers and a lot of business owners, um, whilst they might um, say that they get it, actually their actions betray them a little bit from day to day. Absolutely. Um, I just I think it would be interesting as well just to explore, because we're talking about the future of work, mm. I think it'd be interesting to explore something that, I came across uh, in a book that was written by Charles Handy, a guy called Charles Handy, called The Empty Raincoat. And this is absolutely true. I, re- I went on a around the world. I, I jacked in my job in the, in the mid-90s and went around the world for a year, like you do. And um, <clears throat> if anybody wants to know, Hawaii is wonderful. No, apart from that. Um, and I read a book by him, this, this empty raincoat. And I remember seeing, reading about his view of the future of work. And one of the key areas he talked about was portfolio working, as he termed it. Indeed. And when I read it, I thought, wow, that's amazing, because it was just pretty much unheard of. Yeah. And I think now in terms of the future of work, and it kind of it, it links into... I guess you could say it links also into zero hours contracts in a weird kind of way, which is a political hot potato that's not for today. But um, do you foresee 
getting our going our, our back to the future heads on a little bit. Do you foresee, in your view, a time, I don't know, 10, 20, maybe 30 years from now, where portfolio will be total portfolio working will be the total norm. In other words, you don't work for a company for five days a week. You work for three or four companies three or four days a week. So, you know, you do two days with X, you do two days with Y. In a weird kind of way, we do that already now. Yeah. Uh, my business, certainly I'm dealing with clients and you're dealing with clients and it could be one day with them and two days with them and, and another day, which could be actually doing a speaking engagement and then another day you're doing a bit of mentoring and then another day you're doing a bit of free help, giving some free help to charity. And the technologies, of course, allow us to do that. Now, the reason... That it caught my attention back in the mid nineties, uh, which was then a kind of a dream idea was because I loved the concept because I, I am the sort of person that um, I get bored easy. Yeah. So the, probably what I do and you know, and I, I, I know that I probably leave money on the table because I'll go off on all sorts of journeys. Some of which end up being lucrative, others of which I just enjoy and possibly won't make a lot of money out of, but I'm happier in that space. Yeah. What, what's what's your thoughts on it? Um, well, you you put a time frame on it, a ten years. Um, the short answer is I, I don't know whether in ten years culturally we'll be at that 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 place um, because there are so many factors that influence that, aren't they? Just just for example, people who I don't know need to get a mortgage, for example. There can be real challenges from, from from you know the gig economy of being able to you know and demonstrate proof of income all of that. I think I think society needs to change its attitudes a little bit from you know this is my singular job, um, but by the same token, yeah, it's happening. It's definitely happening, isn't it? We, I mean, we benefit from it ultimately. Um, it's I, I, I'm always conscious that I try to sit, try not to always see things through my lens because, like you, I'm one of these people who always gets really, really bored quickly. The idea of sitting in a cubicle uh, for forty hours a week is my personal hell. <laughs> um, yeah. But equally, some people like that uh, predictability about how they approach work and I, and I get that, that not everybody's alike. Um, but, but in essence, you know, there are certain kind of phrases that have entered into common parlance now, you know, people talk about having a side hustle, <laughs> yeah. you, you, you know, once a day that would have been contracted out. There's no way you'd have been able to do that. Yeah, your your employer just very wouldn't have allowed point. you. Yeah. Um, whereas yeah. nowadays, actually, it's kind of you know, it's kind of seen you know, if you look on LinkedIn, that you know, you, people's job description, there's about five different areas that they've listed. Ultimately, I'm one of them. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. I, I just want everyone to be like me that I have fit in. Um, but in essence, um, yeah. you know, the, you know, this yeah. idea of a portfolio career certainly lends itself to those of us who seek variety. But but again, it's it's around, um, you know, forward thinking companies recognise actually they they you know this can be harnessed and this can be really great because you know the the breadth of experiences that their people are being exposed to by having this variety actually is quite marketable um you know and and, and you know as 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 you know um the workplace changes as technology changes you know exposure to all of these different ways of working can be a potential uh, and again, there are some people who absolutely have grasped that and they're on the bus. There are some people who think, no, hang on a minute. 
I'm, I'm challenged by that. I'm worried about that. And ultimately, it's the people who are challenged by that that perhaps um, need to have a little bit of a ponder because in a candidate-driven world, which we are in at the moment, for example, post, um, post the crash in 2008 when things were fairly static, um, it's like anything if you kind of... Um, if you impose on people, uh, again, lack of choice, control, that, you know, I better just stay, keep my head down and stay put because I'm lucky, I've got a job. The minute people then have the opportunity to exercise that choice, they're going to use it if they feel that they've been kept somewhere against their will. Um, and I think despite the challenges with, you know, certainly in the UK with, you know, the... Um, the lack of clarity over what our future trading relationships look like, for example. I'm trying not to use the B word. I'm dancing around it, but we all know what I'm on about. Um, despite all of those challenges, actually, we've come quite a long way since 2008, 2009, when, um, when work certainly felt like a very different place. Um, and people are, are exercising those choices. And, and whether that is, you know, these things tend to happen in cycles, don't they? So whether or not it is cyclical, I'm not sure, or whether it's part of a long-term trend that ultimately people will embrace the fact that gig working, portfolio careers have become the norm i'm not sure i hope it is you know purely selfishly because that's that's that, that floats my boat definitely um but i also believe that actually it exposes people to to far more um um opportunities to 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 try different things out that, that can only be a benefit for for anybody as i say certainly in a service or a, a knowledge-based economy um and um, anything where you've got product development, anything, you know, let's let's get the blinkers off. And let's see as, as many different experiences as we can. Um, that's got to be a good thing, surely. Yeah. No, I think that makes absolute sense. I totally agree with you on that. Okay, so finally then, because we're into nearly 40 minutes now, which is... Really? Yeah, I told you... Time would, flies. I told you Time fast. flies. And, and you were thinking, oh, he's going to have to keep editing it because I'm going to keep fluffing my lines. And <laughs> you've not said one single thing that I need to edit out. So don't, that's not a challenge, by the way. Uh, this time, Matt. <laughs> we'll give, give it a minute. <laughs> so um, just, just in terms of um, looking ahead, really, really looking ahead at 10, 20 years, yeah. um, what sort of things would you like to see in the ideal world if you went into a business that was fully engaged and maximum and at maximum productivity yeah now why you ever think about that i'll i'll say one of the things that i i would i think is key yeah one of the most obvious things but it's key is effective communication so you know we flutter down from the skies into 2030 we go into a company uh, that's that's just rocking it so one of the first things I would expect to see and want to see is much more effective communication and more structured communication. I think you would see that in a company that was really, really good at it. What is there anything you think you'd like to see or would see in that business? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll pick up on the communication because mm, it, it, it's it often um, CIPD does does surveys. Um, very regularly of, of you know state of the nation in essence what are the, the number one challenges facing employees within businesses and, and not surprisingly communication always comes up um 
probably because it's it's slightly subjective. So you've got one person who thinks, why are you telling me this? I don't need to know this. And you've got the other person who goes, I never find out anything around here. Um, and so it's always a challenge for, for companies, for, for managers, for anybody to get it right in essence. But one of the things that, again, going back to you know, the technolo- technological revolution, what it brings to us is the ability to, to take stock and think of better ways in which to communicate. And you know what? Despite that, there's no... Um, there's no replacement for working together in teams and coming together face to face and and having a brew with somebody, you know what I mean, and chewing the fat. Um, so I'm not being evangelical about this, but equally, um, there's nothing worse than being tied to your Outlook account for eight hours because culturally that's how you communicate everything's done by email for example so you know the opportunity to try all of these different technological solutions not only then open up the ability for flexibility which if you're someone like me you'll love i mean i always joke that you know we could be sat here um with a margarita dangling our feet in the mediterranean pool right now we're not we're in manchester but hey ho we can uh, dream we, we, we yeah dream. We, next the time next one. episode two <laughs> next, episode two we'll one. do that <laughs> that's our challenge yeah um, it is. because we could do that we, we could actually do that technology allows us to do that um and and um and how great will that be? I've, sorry, I've lost my train. We need, of we need, just we thinking need, about we need, that. Now. We need a travel sponsor. That's what we, that's <laughs> Indeed, what we need. Uh, maybe yeah. maybe between us, we should be able to come up with a couple of connections. Um, but certainly, the ability to be able to do that is great. But also, as well, just you know, and I know we're running out of time, but just one tangible on that. One of the big. Um, um, overheads that a business has of course is the space that we need in order to accommodate people um, whether that's office space whether that's you know the car park problem I was referring to earlier yeah. the bottom line is if we open up this flexibility and really embrace it so that when people do come together it's valued time it's real team time it's not I'm going to walk into the office and ignore everybody and sit down and then email them. Um, then, then ultimately by reducing the amount of, of you know, just, just floor space that I need has got to be good for business. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, take a few cars off the road at 9 a.m., got to be good for the environment and equally you know the ability to you know we're all massively busy juggle plates take the kids to school walk the dog whatever it may be yeah um who wouldn't want that ultimately from work and the flexibility to actually to to know that you're empowered and you're entrusted to work when you're firing on all cylinders not just because you've been told to be there yeah do you know what we, I could, we could carry this on for a long long time yeah, I know I, I, did, I did say it's a massive subject and we just, just scratched the surface so we'll definitely do another one we'll have a part two Fabulous. And, uh, and now seen as you're such a seasoned confident podcaster uh, there's, it's going to be a no brainer really isn't it so, absolutely but it is to be fair it's um, you know it's a, it is actually a very complex area isn't it yeah um, and uh because you're talking about human beings. It's yeah. very simple until you introduce human beings into the process. Absolutely. I always think it's a bit like, and I don't want to get political, but it's a bit like socialism. Socialism is great on paper, but when you introduce human beings into the <laughs> equation, it has a slightly different perspective. But 
we won't get into that. Um, so, uh, so everybody's obviously doing their best to try and find the solutions. Uh, ultimately, my personal view is that, first of all, probably eventually the robots will take over and then they'll kill us all. So then it won't matter, will it? You've been watching Terminator, right? I have. Yeah. yeah. It's actually coming out, isn't it? You can't say that because it's a time thing. Yeah, so if you've watched Terminator, you know, anyway. Uh, so I'm going to finish there. Really, really enjoyed chatting to you, mate. And thanks very much for coming in. Appreciate it, coming into the uh, into Manchester. And uh, I'm sure we'll be seeing you again very, very soon. Fantastic. Thank you, Phil. Thanks, mate.